Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live in the NASDAQ market today, overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Stocks roaring back to life today with all 11 S&P sectors finishing in the green. Tech, the big winner. Coming up, we have not one, not two, but three charts that could tell us where we are headed next. Also ahead, Slack getting whacked after reporting weak guidance. The company's conference called Just Getting Underway. We'll break down the big headlines, but we kick things off with something this is something that we have never done Uh-oh. in almost 13 years on the air for Fast Money. Wow, this is exciting. Yeah. What are we doing? It's a bit interesting, but smart. <laughs> the first, oh, we're leading crap. with the Fed's beige book. Ooh, why? We're leading with beige. Oh. The beige book. <laughs> yes, Breakers. that's right, the beige book. And this is why the beige book today. The Fed's semi-frequent check-in on regional economies is telling two very different stories on how we are adjusting to the trade war. On one hand, the Beige Book highlighting a retail chain in New York that raised prices on furniture but is now considering the reversing the price hike because consumers just aren't buying it. Meantime, in Cleveland, manufacturers are feeling the pain, cutting overtime pay rather than laying off workers. But things are looking up in Philadelphia and Minneapolis. Both cities reporting an uptick in manufacturing activity. So this is sort of like a, a choose-your-own-adventure book, choose-your-own-beige book. You allowed to do that? <laughs> is the economy headed down the path of New York and Cleveland, or are we holding strong like Philadelphia and Minneapolis? So I'll be optimistic. Why not be optimistic? It's not I'm, your I'm, way. But it's not my way, but totally it's not. the kind of moderate expansion. Things, despite the trade war, look okay, not great. I mean, that's reasonable. And I think that, along with the news out of Hong Kong, where maybe things have been tapered down for a couple days, that's encouraging. You get the market up, a per, you know, three-quarters of a percent, eight-tenths of a percent. I get it. I'll still say, you know, I'm not convinced of anything. I don't think anything has fundamentally changed. I think the concerns that we had a week ago are still here, despite some of the news we're talking about now. And I still think the market is headed lower with the fits and starts along the way. If you want a bullish signal, I'll give you one. Mm -hmm. The IWM had a decent day today. We have flagged 145 a number of times as a line in the sand. If you want to be bullish, in my opinion, you use that as your barometer. As long as the IWM stays above 145, you could theoretically be okay in the S&P. I don't believe it, though. So really, deep down inside, even though you're presenting the optimistic case, you are not an optimist. You are, in fact, a pessimist deep yeah, down inside. Sheep maybe not, in maybe not that clothing. deep, actually. A wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Is that, I think so. You're sheep, a bear in sheep's, sheep's clothing. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. I'll, I'll compete Scary. That. Karen? Well, let me make sure I understand something first. The yes. beige book. Yes. How backward-looking is the data that goes into the You need to explain what the beige book is. It's a little bit. I don't know how... Yes. Survey the Well, I don't know when is it started. I understand what it is. It's not... doesn't come out all the time. No, right? it's not so, like it's every week or anything right. like so that. So I'm wondering, you know, were some of the most recent trade issues felt in the in the beige book data that we're just seeing right now? No. I'm not sure. Not right. the, okay. Like last weekend's tariff increases? No. Okay. So that makes me think, okay, it's a little bit backward looking. I'm very concerned about the trade situation and its effects on, on, on the U.S. economy going forward. So, I mean, there is some stuff to like. I like autos seem to be modestly higher. I think there was some commercial real estate that was actually a little bit better. Um, I, you know, we saw that other bit of data. Was that yesterday only, the PMI? Yeah. Or, um, so 
I don't know. I'm starting to see some cracks. I'm very concerned. And I'm not that optimistic about a short-term resolution for trade. So that makes me... Uh, today's nice and the market bounces because I'm long, but, but if you it goes down, it. I'm going to be long and lose money. You know, this question is really a sort of a, a glimpse into your psyche. Mm. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, really, it, uh, it this truly is. is this is something I probably don't want to know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> very deep. Um, but, but I, you know, so a glimpse into the beige book, folks, for folks who wonder why we haven't done this in 13 years, but decided <laughs> to do it tonight. Um, I'm trying to figure that out as well. Um, but it, it, look, it's a real-time measure of where the Fed's regional districts are seeing economic activity across consumer, manufacturing, um, different parts of services. Uh, so you get an overall read on the economy. The reason we should be talking about it is just yesterday we had, or was it Monday? I don't know. It's been a holiday week. So Tuesday we had an ISM that printed back to three-year lows. If you looked at the export orders, it was as low as we'd seen in, since the worst of, of the financial crisis. So uh, it's important to take the temperature of where the economy sure. truly is when, in fact, manufacturing and, or the ISM looked reasonably poor. Um, what this beige book showed to me is that you have, first of all, obviously regional strengths and weaknesses, but that overall consumer spending continues at a moderate pace, mm-hmm. that there's been nothing uh, notable in terms of a pullback. The worst kind of story in here, what I read, was with regard to housing, and that to me is more structural because of inventory shortages. So actually the housing market isn't growing as briskly as people would like to see, despite the fact that interest rates are lower. So I'd say this is a win. Half, half full for my psyche, Mel. I'll tell you wow. what, I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> Me. I'm feeling better. <laughs> well, you're definitely <laughs> half empty. You're, more, you're like three quarters empty, in fact. Um, this is in from our executive producer, Kevin Flynn, who says the Beige Book um, is taken uh, before, on or before August 23rd. So be- on or before okay. August 23rd. Right. And so Thanks, that, that leads me to ask you, Pete, and I know you're, Where pre- do I live? you're predisposed to be <laughs> optimistic, and you love what Minneapolis had to say in terms yes. of manufacturing picking up. When you hear Cleveland talking about cutting back on ships and cutting back on overtime, and this is all the way through August 23rd, mm. does that make you concerned that perhaps, perhaps this will filter to the U.S. consumer, which has been the engine of strength. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at it that way. I think, I think that we're, we're seeing what's going on, and obviously the Minneapolis numbers look like they're fairly bullish. I mean, that was, that was the point of this whole thing, is looking at where is it good, where is it not so good. And I think when you're looking at Minneapolis, I think what people don't understand, though, is you're getting a huge swath of S&P 500 companies that are within literally 50 miles of the Twin Cities. You have an enormous number of, huge number of S&P 500 companies. So you're getting a pretty good test of what's out there in terms of everything from Target to Polaris. I mean, you name it, you can go through a, a long list of all these different companies. So I think that's probably part of my bullishness sometimes or whatever. It comes from that because of what we're seeing. But it also gives you the diversity of what you're really looking at. I think the, the interesting thing is so far the consumer has held up and all you've got to do is look at this whole earnings season and you look at walmart you look at target even michael's stores yesterday or whatever i mean it's really impressive to see how strong the consumer remains now is there weakness on the horizon i would think that however long this trade war goes on and i think it will continue at least through probably at least december or further um that's going to start being an issue, I think, and slow down the consumer in some way, especially in the areas that are so positive like we're talking about right so now. So as the markets remain a few percentage points away from all-time highs, what's that saying, Guy, that you usually, impl- the markets don't give markets you... Markets don't give you that long to buy the low, or, or in this case, sell the high. That's fair. I are say we it there? All the time. Yet they have. Yet they, yet have. they have. Yet We've had 25 straight sessions. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I'm always right. That's <laughs> my saying. I mean, that's <laughs> that's 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 your your I mean, that doesn't yeah. make any sense now either. But what would you say now? I still think, look, I, I, have to, I have to own up to it and say, listen, the market has been at these levels for quite some time. I guess it would indicate that we're going to see a breakout to the upside. But, again, 
When I look at the world and see there are a few reasons to be bullish in stocks, there are a number of reasons to be bearish. And just the way I look at it, the bad outweighs the good right now. I understand that the market's hung in there extraordinarily well. I get it. But in terms of the consumer and consumer confidence quickly, in my world, all consumer confidence is is an overlay of the S&P 500. The market does well. People feel richer. People feel richer. People spend money. Go back and look October, November, how quickly people stopped spending money. It coincided with the market going down 20% in six weeks. I think the one thing that does make me start to question how, how long this is going to last, when I see gold and silver continuing to perform, including today, mm-hmm. I mean, we rallied back up almost erasing everything from yesterday. And look at GLD, look at SLV, look at what's going on in the precious metals. And we continue to see more and more paper saying they aren't done yet. They still seem to seem there is more upside, Mel. All right. Well, as we mentioned, stocks pushing higher today. Our next guest says there are three charts that could tell us where we are headed next. So let's get straight to Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. He's over at the Plasma. Mark, what are you looking at? Hi, Melissa. Thanks. Yeah, so let's take a look at three charts that will put this rally into perspective now that we've entered the month of September. We still have the ongoing range for S&P. This is something that's really been uh, guided the upside and the downside for this market over the last month. So despite all the issues and the worries that we're all concerned about, policy uncertainty, trade war with China, increasing signs of a slowing economy, the market's been incredibly resilient, still within right now only 100 points of all-time highs. So this is something that in the last couple of days, though, we've seen a little bit of improvement. You saw the concerns about the Chinese trade war and the tariffs, all of a sudden, S&P only got down about 50% of the prior. It didn't get all the way back down. Breadth has started to get a lot better the last couple of days. Today, we saw about 4 to 1 positive breadth versus yesterday on the big down day. It was about 3 to 2 negative. So we're a lot more positive on today's strength than we were negative on yesterday's weakness. Ongoing pessimism. Guy Adami alluded to the same thing. All investors are concerned about all these issues. That sea of pessimism is obviously what can help the market actually move a little bit higher into the first part of September. This is the other one, technology, the largest sector in S&P. This is about 22% of the S&P right now. So it's almost a quarter right now of the S&P is technology. Until we see some evidence of technology breaking, this is still going to serve as a tailwind for stocks. The stocks today closed at the highest level since late July. We saw stocks like Western Digital, Seagate hit the highest level of the year. Intel had a very, very good move. Good signs of Facebook also starting to claw off the bottom. And this next stock, which I'll show you, I think is really the key to the whole puzzle, which is Apple, of course, a trillion-dollar market cap stock. This has formed a very interesting technical pattern, which is a symmetrical triangle on the heels of a big rally. In technical analysis, we know that about 80% of the time after a big run-up, these triangles oftentimes are resolved by a movement to the upside, not the downside. So my thinking is it's a huge constituent in XLK, obviously, S&P, the Qs. Uh, right now, with charts looking very bullish on Apple, at least for a breakout to the upside, I don't really want to be betting too much on the downside just yet. You want to see a break in technology. You want to see a return to that pessimism you know, I'm turn to optimism. Right now, potentially, this Hong Kong extradition being put off could be the start of that. If S&P breaks above 2940, that's a key resistance. We might get up to 3050, 3075. That's really my target. I expect that sentiment will start to get more and more bullish. If that happens towards the Fed meeting, uh, that would be a time to sell into this. You know? But for now, you know, it's really right to bet on this 2940 being exceeded, in my view. 2940. All right. So that's almost where we are right now. Right. So a little bit higher. All right, Mark, thank you. Mark Newton thank of you. Newton Advisors. Um, Tim Paul Hickey today on, uh, bespoke me the point that we've been basically at or around 2900 up and down from there. 25 for sessions in, in this the past range. past month or yes. so. Yeah. 
Um, so, so is that, are those charts convincing enough to you to say, yeah, we'll go higher? Well, I, I think what Mark's pointing out is, again, if you're drawing that trend line off of those lows, despite all the volatility, and, and to be clear, in this 150-point range on the S&P, there's been a lot of volatility. There's, there's been a number right. of days that have been plus minus uh, 1% days. But um, ultimately, I, I think if, if you look at where the market has digested the yuan, digested the dollar, digested yields, which, by the way, didn't break out today despite the market stayed at 147 on the 10-year, I think that's bullish. I think sentiment, which had gotten um, certainly a month and a half ago, was way too bullish, um, certainly overly corrected to the downside. I think the risk is the upside. You break through that resistance where you've been beating up there probably 11 times today. You failed at 2940. That's bullish. I just kind of, you know, talked about Apple. So I'm, I'm not a macro trader, but I am long Apple. And, you know, I'm nervous because I do think there's somewhat in the crosshairs of trade. However, I do want to own it. I'm willing to ride some volatility, which we've seen. We may see more. I believe in the evolution of the story. And I want to be there for 5G. I don't know when we'll really see that start to get going. But I'm not going to be good at selling it before that and hoping it trades down and buying it in front of that. Uh, So I'm hanging on and nervous. But I want to be long. Look, I think the bull case is you understand the president has the market I guarantee he watches it all day long. He's laser-focused on it. If it gets to a certain point, he's going to do whatever needs to be done to get the market higher. I think that's part of the bull thesis. I think that's legit. I think then the other side of the coin is, you know, we just looked at a chart. It looks like it's breaking out the upside. Mm-hmm. We had BK here and Carter Braxton Worth talking about the megaphone of was that the megaphone. Call it? Yeah, that's megaphone right. of that's death. On yeah, so you can yeah. look at the same chart and have two different outcomes. I look at the world. I say it all the time. I'm predisposed to be negative. I've said that from day one on this show. So I always look what can go wrong will go wrong. And I look at all the headwinds out there and say the VIX at 17 and a half is too cheap. And there's another leg lower in the broader market. All right. Coming up, Slack getting whacked in the after hours. The company's conference call is just getting underway. We'll break down the big headlines. And later, high risk, high reward. We are counting down to tonight's new CNBC documentary on the booming cannabis industry. Hot stock bulls are betting on another big breakout. Why they say it could be right around the corner. We'll debate that ahead of tonight's big premiere, 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're live uh, in Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings whip for you. Palo Alto Networks and Slack both tumbling after reporting earnings. We've got full team coverage. Josh Lipton is uh, on Palo Alto. But let's start with Deidre Bosa, who is all over Slack's big move lower. Deidre. That's right, Melissa. Now, just to give you some idea of where Slack sits in its sector, Morgan Stanley puts it at a 20% premium to its SaaS or software as a service peers on a growth adjusted basis. So Slack really had to come out and justify that pricey premium. And it came up short. Shares are plunging about 14% in the after hours, 15% now within striking distance, just 40 cents above that direct listing or reference price of $26 a share in that joining 
other newly public unicorns, Uber and Lyft, and their post-IPO slumps. Now, the call is just getting underway. It started with founder and CEO Stuart Butterfield talking about the transition to becoming a public company. He said it was just one hallmark. He said the next five years will be very different because they came out of the market with a near, out of the gates rather, with a near-perfect market fit. But over the years, they've begun to see real product market fit for larger enterprises. He says that they saw win after win from some of the largest companies in the world. Now, Butterfield also calling out one use case that uses Office 360, a customer, but he notes that that company still chooses to use Slack for communication. So in talking about this, he's speaking directly to some of the biggest jitters, some of the biggest concerns around Slack, and that is competition from Microsoft Teams and Slack's ability to win paying and big enterprise customers. The company in the report saying that it grew paying customers by 37% year over year to over 100,000. And Slack CEO and founder Stuart Butterfield, he will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. He'll probably talk more about the enterprise space. You don't want to miss that one. Back to you. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa in San Francisco on uh, work, which is the ticker for, for Slack. Uh, Pete, what do you mean? I mean, for them to say, oh, a customer uses Windows 360 but mm-hmm. still uses Slack, I mean, that, that's, that would be a huge concern for him. I think it is a huge concern. It's something I've voiced many times about this, this company right. because of the fact that my concern is they're, they're going up against the biggest of the big mm-hmm. who can really get after them, and they already have. Matter of fact, Microsoft already has 13 million daily active users versus 10 million Teams, for Slack. Which just so, launched, the, yeah. so they're already going in front of the, the competition. It tells, I, I just look at this, Mel, as this is going to be a brutal competition. And we've seen this go on with Snap, with Twitter, with all these various Instagram and all that stuff. It's amazing how much competition is out there. But I look at this right now. I love the fact they have growth. Revenue growth is great. But you look at even the weekly users, and Microsoft is really beating them badly. So I think when you look at that, you have to say, this is a, it looks great for Microsoft, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. For Slack, they're still losing money. When are they going to make money? This is like Uber and Lyft and some of these others where, show me the money. When are you going to make money? And I don't know right now that they're on the path to make money very soon. Especially when you're trading at that premium that right. Deidre was mentioning compared yeah. to SaaS peers. Right. Well, that's the problem, the price, right? Yeah. I mean, the revenue growth is great, although the rate of acceleration is slowing. But we've seen that in other companies. It's just a question of valuation. This market is really not, they're not going to give you the break that you would have had maybe, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, these, these, I think we just saw a headline of uh, sales and marketing expenses going up in the second half. So they're going to lose a little bit more. And I, I just, I, I don't think you got to, it should be down a fair amount because right. the valuation is just too high. All right, let's get to Palo Alto. Uh, that stock also lower after reporting results. Josh Lipton has more on this. Josh. Yeah, Melissa, also lower, but well off the lows. It had been down a whole lot harder, uh, beat on the bottom and the top. I did check in with a couple analysts. Um, two issues that they, they flagged as, as concern here. One, they, they would argue, listen, Nikesh Aurora uh, took over CEO about, uh, about 12 months ago. He's been making acquisitions, and so they focused on free cash flow. That did miss by about roughly $25 million. They also would note that if you look at the product segments, um, product as a segment, so that's legacy on-prem firewall appliances, hardware, software, three hundred and million. That was a miss as well. Nikesh War, though, sort of laying out his strategy for this company is, is he telling analysts that, listen, almost every customer he meets now is on the way to the cloud. So he sees this cloud market growing strongly and he sees, therefore, a big opportunity in cloud security. That's why he's making acquisitions. In fact, they announced just another one here. They bought an IoT security company called Zingbox for about $75 million. He intends, he says, to build the best cloud security platform out there. For a lot more about what Nikesh Warra is thinking about this company, 
company and, and the broader industry, be sure to check out the interview he's got tomorrow on CNBC on Squawk on the Street. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton, IoT, by the way, Internet of Things. Well, I, I'll tell you what, Palo Alto continues to take share from other firewall vendors. And so in a world where we were just talking about the multi-cloud vendors, Microsoft and Google being so dominant and I think going to be beating up continually, I think there's a firewall between those guys and these guys wow. in the firewall space. I, I think it's, it's way too specialized. I think these guys continue to, to be able to fly in this van. Okay, we got a market flash here on Malincroft. That stock is... Uh, plunging in the after-hour session. Let's get to Meg Terrell at headquarters with the latest. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Malincrod is down quite a bit in the after-hours on a report that it is uh, considering its options, including potentially restructuring uh, and has hired the law firm Latham & Watkins and consulting firm Alex Partners to advise it. Uh, this is a report from Bloomberg um, saying that Malincrot may choose to seek bankruptcy protection um, here if its legal liabilities aren't manageable. And these legal liabilities, of course, have to do with uh, the opioid uh, lawsuits that are happening around the country right now. It's one of several companies named in all of these lawsuits, more than 2,000 of which have been consolidated in a federal uh, case uh, centered in Cleveland. Um, so Malincrot already under tremendous pressure um, over the last year. And if you go back even five years, the stock was at 120. It's now trading at about $2, uh, down a lot in the after hours. Uh, this report from Bloomberg saying it may choose to seek bankruptcy protection, Mel. Uh, we've reached out to the company that declined to comment. We'll bring you any more that we get on this. Back yeah, I think just a couple days ago, they, they drew down their last credit facility. So they were they're really reaching in terms of liquidity. Meg, how many companies are, are still viable, shall we say, um, that are swept up in the, in the opioid lo- lawsuits? That's a really important question. So this encompasses companies that are as large as Johnson & Johnson, which, of mm-hmm. course, is incredibly healthy financially, um, to other companies that are facing a lot of debt, uh, like Endo Pharmaceuticals and Teva, which, of course, is bigger. Uh, but companies are watching their bonds very closely uh, and saying they are in a sort of dangerous or scary territory uh, because of these potential liabilities. But of course, it is also very hard to tell what could come in this situation. Uh, There is a trial that's set to start in October, uh, and it sounds like companies are trying to avoid going into that trial. We know that Endo and Allergan settled there just with those specific counties uh, in Ohio, and it looks like Mallinckrodt may be trying to do that as well, according to this Bloomberg report. All right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell at headquarters with the MNK's big move. Guy. Yeah, I'm somewhat reluctant to talk about this thing. The market cap, I mean, I don't know what the enterprise value of this thing is now, but the sure. market cap, I think, is probably after this move, a couple hundred million dollars. 150 million dollars. So let's just put that out there, number one. Number two, the short interest in the stock has been seemingly growing every day. The shorts have been leaning into this. Tomorrow's one of those days, again, I have no idea where the stock is going, but tomorrow's an event where, unless you think it's going to zero, shorts, shorts will cover on the back of this. And I think the short interest is probably close to 60%. Again, no idea, but i got to point out the huge short interest, and my sense is this is what the shorts were waiting for. Should we be worried about Johnson & Johnson? I mean, I understand Johnson & Johnson is a much bigger company. It's got much deeper pockets. It's got much more diversified business. But at the same time, as... These bankruptcies Pick look up momentum. to be, exactly. And there's precedent being set. And, and, and again, risk, no? well, when we think about the last settlement, it, where, it, where it came in significantly lower than people thought it could be, it was seen as, and they didn't admit, and they, they certainly said in other states it's, it's a, a clear-cut case. I think it is case by case, state by state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, therefore, think right now Johnson & Johnson has a very different fate than these other companies. Right. Just looking at Mallinckrodt debt trades, you know, their four-year paper trading at 32 cents on the dollar. 32 cents. Before this. Wow. So it was telling you, 
Right. Maybe it could trade up on this. No, right? can I give you one the last thing that I saw away, today? They, they were buying the three and a half calls in here. 10,000 of those traded today. You know why? It's brilliant, actually. If what, you're please? shorting and you're shorting and shorting, what uh, a great protection you've got owning the three and a half calls against your, your short position right. to the downside in a move like we're so seeing today. Edge. Yeah, very smart trader right. out there. Up next, hot spots seeming to cool down. Three global flashpoints showing some signs of easing. Is this an all clear for your money? We'll debate that. And later, looking good, we'll tell you what sent shares of PVH soaring today. We are digging in when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying today in part thanks to things that happened off our shores. Hong Kong withdrawing an extradition bill that triggered months of violent protests. The U.K. clearing a major hurdle in an effort to prevent a no-deal Brexit. And Argentina implementing capital controls to stabilize that market. So these global hotspots appear to be cooling down a bit. So is this an all-clear for investors, at least with these extraneous all clear well for for these extraneous all clear sort of, uh, <laughs> i'm not throwing up you're the all clear buddy you're the glass half full we but learned that about you we've eliminated some of these extraneous concerns we have we have and and but i think there's still a lot they've got left to negotiate right i mean so that that's something i think that'll hang around as well Mel. so you know it's interesting i mean i brought it up earlier and i'll bring it up again when you see a market that goes up 200 plus points in a day and then you still see gold and silver and you see different areas of the market we had a great move today in oil and i don't I don't know how much that was covered today. I mean, up 4% today. That's pretty big on a WTI, back over $56. So we got a nice push there as well. I I hate to be the guy to say all clear, so I'm not going to say that. I feel more comfortable, probably. But I don't know that I would say, you know what, it's time to just go in like a bull. Well, all clear is a, is a horizon call, right? I mean, how long is it all clear for? And so if you look at what's been going <laughs> on tomorrow. in well, <laughs> yeah. all clear has been the last two weeks of investing in Germany over the U.S., right. investing in emerging markets over the U.S. before last night's news. And even, in fact, with a dollar that was getting stronger. So to me, um, I think you have more room on these trades. I don't think you have a ton of room. There's no way you could call all clear, except for the fact that, as we said last night, we spent a fair amount 
on time talking about Hong Kong and China's options and gaming and all these right. uh, all, all the collateral damage. Um, I do think this is their way of squaring this away ahead of a very important event in China on October 1st. So I do think you've got a little bit of a room here. And that's in the backdrop where I think the dollar is actually maybe in the short run was overbought. Which EMs have more room at this point? I, I think if you look at Latin America, Brazil's really been outperforming. The, the, the fact also that the currency there has, has gone to the abyss and looks like it's found stabilization. And as you know, in emerging markets, more than 50 percent of your trade is your currency. So I would take it there. Well, let me ask you, do you think this was enough that uh, the extradition bill being, is that enough to calm the protest? And Hong Kong doesn't seem like Look, it. This, the this rhetoric is something, seen that way. This was seemingly something that could have been done a month ago. Um, and, and so my sense is that there was an understanding that this was going to mollify, if I may, um, the, 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 the biggest part of the outcry. And I think, it, I think in the short run it has. It doesn't change anything, although I don't think Hong Kong was any different five years ago than it is today. I don't think it was ever really free. Well, I mean, it maybe it was telling that the protesters almost immediately, they put up on one of their chat rooms, you know, two out of five. So they got two out of five yep. of their demands. Is that, is enough? that enough? And you know, Tim said last night that this was going to be rectified sooner rather than later. And it wound up being less than 24 hours. Well, in part, less than 24 hours later. But again, I don't think anything's... Today, things look better. Tomorrow, the world could look a lot different again. And I think that's the environment we find ourselves in. You know, we continue to be a tweet or two away mm. from being up 500 yeah. Dow points or the other side of that. Guy, who point. said two out of three ain't bad? It was Meatloaf, Meatloaf. one of the great yeah. albums yeah. of all Meatloaf. time, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> sing it for you, Mel, if you'd like. That's more you know. Here. Oh. Right. Yeah, well. Too low. <laughs> I'm glad I know that useless fact now. <laughs> up next, Starbucks investors getting a bit burned today after the company slashed its outlook. We'll find out what is next for the coffee chain. And later, we are gearing up for Lululemon's results. Why one options trader is betting the stock will stretch higher after a report. Stick with us. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of PVH. Topping the tape today, the stock jumping more than 9%. That's its best day in nearly six months on news that CEO Manny Chirico purchased roughly $10 million worth of stock. Also worth noting, PVH, which owns fashion brands including Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein, slashed its revenue forecast last month as China trade tensions and Hong Kong protests weighed on the company. So is this a sign that there's a bigger turnaround ahead for the stock? Karen, you pointed this out today. Yeah, hopefully there is. I mean, $10 million is a lot, and also it's a very significant increase in his position. This was almost a 50 percent increase. Oh, wow. So he now has $30 million worth of stock. And so that is really significant. Stock's obviously up a lot. But if you look at where it's traded and if you look at the P.E. of this stock, even though they guided a little lower, the expectations were so far below that 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 was actually kind of a big beat. And here with the P.E. and the high, high single digits, it's well below its historical average. And so if you didn't know any of this other stuff, the stock here I don't think is particularly expensive. Does this uh, attract it's interesting. you? It is, yeah, you know, I love driving into dangerous, you know, ugly situations. Really? And, uh, <laughs> what has the trade war meant for them in terms of their uncertainty? cost Uncertainty? Yeah. yeah. Right. right. Uncertainty. So it has priced in uncertainty already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have a lot in, of exposure in department stores. That's been a bad place to be. But all that may be priced in here. Carter Worth is one of the great technicians, as we he's mentioned the all Pantheon. the time. And if Carter was here, he's not here this evening, unfortunately. But he would point out the low in the beginning of 2016 in this name was roughly $70. I encourage our viewers, if you're watching, to do a little homework and see what the recent low was. You have the potential for a huge technical double bottom, on the back of which valuation is reasonable. He's buying the stock, something that 
Pete has always loved about CEOs. And this was a, not that it matters, but this was $170 stock basically this time last year. So I think you have a lot of things lined up for you if you think the move's going to continue to the upside. Not unlike what we have seen with J.W. Nordstrom's, which has surprised some people to the upside Hmm. as well, Melissa. Interesting guy. (laughs) I would agree, and I'd also say if you're looking longer term, not just the next three months, six months, but I think longer term, PVH right now, there's a good reason why he bought $10 million worth of his stock right now. I think he's looking, thinking to himself, longer term, this is a great investment. Now, it still might go a little bit lower, but I think when you see some of these stocks, I think, you know, I, I keep going back to Richard Kinder buying K- KMI, yeah. but he doesn't. And he just continues to rebuy this stock. I continue to buy because I continue to watch him buy his own stock. I think in PVH, I think there's much more upside, too. And you look at KMI right now, you're getting 5%. That's great in terms of a dividend yield. But I'll tell you what, I think longer term, once we get through the trade war, whenever that is, and I think we will, this could be a, a buy that we all wish we had made. All right. Well, while PBH soared, Starbucks was feeling some heat. The company cut its earnings guidance for 2020. Its CFO speaking at the Goldman Sachs Global Retailing Conference today saying the one-time tax benefits from benefits from 2019 will be a significant headwind for the coffee giant next year. His comments come just a little more than a month after the coffee giant raised guidance following a strong earnings beat. We had a lot of analysts say Starbucks is back. The story is back. The growth is back, Tim. You're in the stock. What do you make of this? Look, I think the growth is back, but the multiple is more than back. So the, the big issue here is what do you want to pay for Starbucks? You want to pay in the north of 30 times um, on a multiple. But if you look at what the stock did today, first of all, this is really the first cold water we've seen on the stock from the company because through the earnings, uh, through the last earnings period, we actually saw that U.S. comps were up over 7%. These guys are able to bring through higher prices. Their margin's actually going higher. The question is, what do you want to pay for the company? Meanwhile, the company's basically traded sideways since July through a very difficult tape. It appears to, to remain defensive of this environment. I think it will remain defensive. I don't understand, though, why the guidance was adjusted, uh, adjusted today in light of the guidance they gave a month Well, ago. especially when you're referencing basically a tax rate that was out there already. Right. Is so, that new? Did it change? Um, I, I don't know why we got that news. Yeah, Pete? You know, I'd be a little concerned. You brought up where it is right now in terms of P.E. I bought Luck and Coffee not that long ago, and I like it as a stock. I didn't just do the calls, but I actually bought the stock, and I am selling calls against it because they're inflated volatility. But I like that name because I see the growth they've got in front of them and the pricing power because they're going head-to-head, attempting to go head-to-head with Starbucks. Starbucks got a great position already. But you look at this company, the fact that they're in tea, they're in coffee, and they're a lower price, Mel, I think that's something that's much more appealing to the Chinese as well. And they have less overhead. I mean, they have a smaller footprint. They don't have places to sit with free Wi-Fi and open bathrooms all day long. Which is something we're seeing coming more and more from different places that there are. Caribou in Minnesota is going to that. They're calling it cabins. But there's all kinds of different cabins. Yeah, cabins that they're putting out there for people to come in. But they're not going inside. They're just walking up. What the folks at home can't see, Mel... Is yes. when you mentioned bathrooms, you look directly at me, <laughs> as if you understand like there's some problem with my, you know, my constitution, well, you, which I find, you know, I have feelings well, too, which clearly don't orchid. matter to you. Your digestive system's like an, I mean, it's an delicate orchid, like an orchid. It is. I am as well. <laughs> With that said, I'm shocked the stock didn't trade lower today. Maybe the tape helped. I really, guess. It was unclear what they actually it, it, said. Early it did, but it came, it came back, back relatively well. Now, maybe that's a function of the broader market. I don't know. But given it's trading 31 times forward earnings, you have every opportunity to sell the stock today. The fact that it didn't sell off in a meaningful way year to date. is pretty encouraging, I think. All right. Coming up, it has been a mixed bag for pot stocks this year. We'll lay out what next big catalyst could put a spark back into the space as we count down to tonight's new CNBC documentary on the booming cannabis industry. 
There it is, tonight, 6 p.m. Plus, shares of Lululemon lifting higher this year, and one trader's betting on an even bigger rally when it reports earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you what has the options market so zen on the stock. Fast Money, be right back. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. 2018 was the year of the pot stock, and cannabis bulls predict another one is right around the corner. Here's their take on why right now may be the best time to get in. Are we going to look back at this time and think that was the time when cannabis really took off, where it was really publicly accepted, where, where the money could be made? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. When we opened our first store, one of our investors was learning jujitsu so that he could better handle himself in the event that he did go to prison. Steve White, CEO of Harvest Health and Recreation, one of the largest cannabis companies in the U.S. What's changed? I mean, what is it about right now? Historically, for the average investor, cannabis was way too risky. In a couple of years, your question is whether or not everybody's going to be on board. So right now you're in that sweet spot where you can have where you could make tremendous returns if you invest in cannabis. We're at an inflection point, the golden era of cannabis investing. Yes, I will say this is the golden era. I truly believe that. Danny Moses, legendary investor who bet against subprime mortgages, aka the big short. And Danny Moses, yeah, no, no. the optimist of the bunch, all right, all right. and a hell of a trader. And so that was the big short. Yeah. Is this the big long? This is the big long. It's the best macroeconomic opportunity I've seen within the U.S. markets in my career. Was there a light bulb situation when you thought, this is it? This could be a huge business. Well, I went to a dispensary in Denver right when the market opened, and it was eye-opening. Vivian Azer, the first pot stock analyst for a major investment firm, Cowan & Company. There were young people, there were old people, there were people that looked affluent and not. And keep in mind, five years ago, it was still really taboo. In five to ten years, how big will this industry be, according to your estimates? Cannabis in the U.S. should be as big as tobacco in the U.S. Those are just a few reasons why bulls say right now is the time to invest. Hear more from them. Plus some fascinating arguments against investing in the space, the risk factors, all that during our new CNBC original documentary, High Risk, High Reward, Cannabis Inc. That premieres at the top of the hour, right after Fast Money on CNBC. Um, Tim, you are a longtime investor in this space. Uh, You've got an ETF that has various positions. And I'm wondering for you, what do you see as the biggest risk factor out there? I think right now, first of all, you have a lot of companies that, that are, are still relatively immature companies, with all due respect to some very sophisticated operators. But the, the, the environment where corporate governance and really assessing um, that landscape is the toughest thing to do in an early asset class. The regulatory environment right now, to me, is actually a tailwind. I know it feels like we've had so many tailwinds. But when you think about the industry, there's actually been a fair amount of headwinds in the last six months relative to where people thought. For example, the East Coast hasn't flipped and gone fully recreational. Everybody expected New York and New Jersey were 
going to probably at least have made their approvals to be ready by year end. Uh, the dynamic with the the DOJ, so the HSR uh, holdup, which is the uh, the Hart Scott Rodino Act, which you don't need to know all those initials, initials other than to know there's been already a number of very big deals in the sector that have not been approved because the DOJ hasn't signed off on them. A lot of people felt that was the government not signing off. I actually, in talking to a number of these CEOs, they're actually quite pleased with the DOJ. The DOJ is doing very thoughtful work. The DOJ is actually taking this industry extremely seriously. I think that's a catalyst. And then the big catalysts really are are, are the Banking Act, so the right. Safe Banking Act, which will allow states who have approved and where the people have voted and where, as we know constitutionally, the states should be allowed to do, let them be banked. Let them also have accounting practices that allow the companies to follow normal accounting practices. So I think the tailwinds out there, um, it's not a Pollyanna view. I, there's, there's obviously a lot of, of, of pitfalls that can go on, and I think it's still very, very early stages. But this industry is still yeah. so disaggregated that there's a lot of room for consolidation. I mean, being a nascent industry, there's not the medical research to back up a lot of the medical claims, which is a big part of the investing story. Um, and there's also, because these comp- some of these companies are very immature and they're new, there are corporate governance issues as well that investors need to be aware of uh, when they go into the space. Well, it's intriguing to me. I think there's a two-part bifurcating mm-hmm. the medical issue with the recreational, yeah. right? So I'm wondering, is there another, I'm sure you know, another giant tailwind of the Pepsi's and whomever, Constellation brands already, but giant companies in the, in, you know, the snack space or, or related sure. or spirits or, whatever, or beer um, becoming buyers of all of them. And the valuation is just going up dramatically from here. Well, you would need federal legalization for for so that the FD- for an outright acquisition, right? Um, you need federal legalization for these companies to put their own listings and a lot of just their core businesses at risk. So um, I think they are waiting. Yeah. I, I think that that hemp CBD farm bill legalization has given a platform for a lot of companies though to get involved now and lay out that infrastructure. And what's that infrastructure? That's CVS. That's some of the biggest retailing chains in the world are involved right now who have partnered already with some of these existing. U.S. multi-state operators who, who really, I have to say, even though we know that the industry is going to change dramatically and a month is a dog year in this industry. So um, it's moving so quickly that I think you really do need to be investing and staying close to people that, that are, are following the sector. But I, I think you're going to get to a place where you're actually going to see some of these regulations begin to, to play out where you can get big companies to come in now. But the multi-states have a head start. Right. I think some of these big players right now are going to be able to box people out. All right. By the way, for all of Tim's disclosures, you can go to fast.cnbc.com. And be sure to catch our full doc, High Risk, High Reward, Cannabis Inc. That's at the top of the hour right here on CNBC, so don't go anywhere. Up next, Lululemon gearing up to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. And options traders are betting the stock will soar on the results. We'll break down all the action. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast. We've got a big interview coming your way tomorrow on Squawk Box. Presidential candidate Tom Steyer will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning talking everything from the race for the White House to the economy to the Fed. Be sure to catch that interview, 8.45 a.m. Eastern on CNBC. Also happening tomorrow, Lululemon reporting results. Shares of Lulu bucking the retail beatdown this year. The stock is up more than 49 percent, and options traders are betting the stock could go even higher. Let's get the action with Mike Coe in San Francisco. Mike. 
Yeah, so Lululemon options are implying a move of about 10% higher or lower on the earnings event. And some of the activity we saw was suggesting that some options traders believe that that 10% move will be to the upside. An interesting trade that we identified was a buyer of the September 6th weekly 180 calls, paid about 7 bucks for a little over 400 of those, and then helped finance that trade by selling the September regular 200 calls at about three bucks. So all in, they were spending just under $4 to buy that spread. And the idea here is that the near-dated calls will appreciate if the stock pops, but of course they expire at the end of the week. And those longer-dated 200-strike calls, the implied volatility should drop very sharply. Right now, those are trading about 64% implied volatility. On average, you would expect it to see closer to 30. So that's basically how they're going to expect to make that bullish bet and take advantage of falling implied volatility after they announce results. Pete, you probably saw this action today. How do you feel about Lulu? Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm very bullish. I own the stock. I've owned it for a very long time. It was a pitch stock a while back, and everybody thought it was terrible, and blah, blah, blah. Men's, kids, and e-commerce. I'm telling you, those three are the legs that are going to push this higher. They have more exposure to the Asian markets as well, but a lot less than people would ever know. So I think there's a lot of growth still in front of them. Why are you How do you feel about spandex, Pete? I'm a big spandex guy, as you know. Long spandex. <laughs> no, the, the the home viewers might have been negative, but I remember I remember the power pitch. Yeah, and I, I think I gave pitch. that too, and yeah. I think I gave a giddy up. And you know, people will knock it on valuation thirty times, but look at the EPS growth they have. They absolutely have it. Operating margins continue to hang in there. I think you got to stay remain bullish in the little lemon. And by the way, I have. I think you need to know this. You have a pair of Lululemon pants? Multiple. Are they yoga pants? Like no, no, no. no. They're yoga fitting? pants. Brief. Yeah. Underwear. The briefs. Yeah. Oh, Boxer briefs. That's too right. much information. No, Pete's been on that, Pete's been on that for oh, a long, long time. Thank you, Mike Coe. For more options action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's more than anybody needed to know. Up next, Let's uh, quickly recap some of the big after-hours movers. Mallinckrodt now down more than 40% on reports. It could be hiring a firm to advise client advise it on the company's opioid lawsuit costs. Separately, Palo Alto making a huge reversal in the after-hours of the company's conference call got underway. Shares are now up more than 5%. More on both of these big movers on our website, CNBC.com. Final trade time, Pete. Well, I'm going to go with FireEye. We had some huge call buying just, just to the upside. I like what I saw. I bought those calls. I think it's going higher. Tim. But your first trade should be to turn into the cannabis special. The oh, yeah. Ah. Six o'clock. Go get that. Second should be go check out Brazil and the rest of the world that seems to be outperforming again. Not forever, but for now, EWZ. Chairwoman. Yes. If you want to be long or you have to be long, you got to own some protection, especially with the VIX here. It's too low. Talked about a lot of things tonight. You know, that PVH, you despite sure the fact that it's had a big move to the upside, I think there's further room to the upside. Melissa, back to you. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Don't Go Anywhere. Cannabis Inc. premieres right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Hacker has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.